Thanks, Butch. Uh, good morning to all of you. It's wonderful that you come to worship with us on this Easter morning. Well, the passage that Butch just read describes how there were several women who were looking for Jesus on the first Easter morning. And they went to the tomb where they were hoping to find his lifeless body. And their experience is instructive for every single one of us who is looking for Jesus. What this passage emphasizes is that if you're looking for Jesus, you better look in the right place. If you look in the wrong place for Jesus, you will not find him. And just to let you know, I'm not assuming that everybody here is looking for Jesus today in the sense of you want to know him, you want to follow him. But I will say that if you understand who he is, and if you understand what he offers, you will. You will be passionate about seeking and finding him. You will be passionate about experiencing him in the depths of your being. Nothing will be able to keep you from seeking after Jesus. Why? Because he offers you something that nobody else does, and he offers it free of charge. He offers you this freedom from your guilt and your shame, and he offers you a relationship with his heavenly Father that will sustain you through this life and on into the next. And so when you're ready to look for Jesus, I hope it's today, but it may be a year from today or some other time, when you're ready to look for Jesus, you have to look for him in the right place. Well, today we look at at the passage that was read, Luke 23, but we begin in verse 55, where to look for Jesus. The Gospel of Luke is interesting. It it emphasizes that in addition to the 12 apostles, uh, there was a group of of women who was also devoted to Jesus. And uh, we're told in Luke 8 that these women had been healed of various maladies, both spiritual and physical. Some of them had means, and they supported the apostles financially uh, from their own, own resources. And Luke emphasizes that these women were faithful to Jesus to the very end. And so they had heard Jesus teach, they had walked with him, they were there at the crucifixion, and now they wanted to ensure that Jesus had a suitable burial. And so we pick up the account in Luke 23:55. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed and they saw the tomb and how his body was laid. This is on the Friday before. <clears throat> then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment, but on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. And so they were looking for Jesus' body. They weren't expecting him to be raised from the dead. They wanted to apply the spices and the ointments that they had prepared, apply them to his body. But this is what they found. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And look what happened next. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And we're told later that these, these two figures described as men, <clears throat> they are angels. And in the Bible, angels are spiritual beings as opposed to humans, which are, we have a spiritual component, but we're also physical beings. We are embodied. 
but we're told that sometimes angels do take on human form in their role as messengers. And that's clearly what ha- what's happening here. The fact that they had dazzling apparel, it indicates that they were not mere mortals. And their message to these women is that they were looking for Jesus in the wrong place. Verse 5, and they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. And the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? That's a great question. Why do you seek the living among the dead? And if they were given the chance to, to answer, I think they'd say something like, we're not seeking the living. We are seeking Jesus. He was crucified two days ago, and we saw with our own eyes that he was put into this tomb. The angels continued, he is not here, but has, <clears throat> but has risen. And then this is interesting. They say, remember how he told you. They say, if you're looking for Jesus, remember what he told you. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered, <clears throat> must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again. And so these angels wanted these, these women to make the connection between Jesus' resurrection and the words that he had spoken. They wanted them to understand that Jesus had risen just as he said. Now, why do you think it was so important that they point, they point these women back to his words? Why wasn't it enough just to know that he had risen from the dead? Well, this was the focal point of all of human history. This was the time when God took the decisive, once-for-all action to deal with the sin of humanity. And he wanted these women to remember that Jesus had told them that he would, be, he would suffer, he would die, and he would be raised again from the dead. If they remembered that, that Jesus had said this, then they would have absolute confidence in Jesus and in everything else that he said. If he was right about that, Jesus was right about everything. And so we read, uh, we read this in several times in Luke that Jesus had told them this exact thing three times. One of those is found in Luke 9, 21. And this is what we read, that he must die and be raised from the dead. <clears throat> Luke 9, 21, and Jesus strictly charged and commanded his disciples to tell this to no one saying, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And so this was a divine necessity. This wasn't optional. Given his mission of of being a ransom for many, he must suffer and die. It wasn't optional. He had to pay for the sins of the people. And given that he was the sinless son of God, he must be raised from the dead. Humanity had declared him guilty and had killed him. So God had to declare him innocent and reverse that and raise him from the dead. And so the angels were telling them, if you want to find Jesus, remember what he said about himself. And then in verse 8 we read, and they remembered his words. And when they remembered, they said, yes, Jesus predicted this. And they weren't thinking, that was a lucky guess. No, they weren't thinking that. They were thinking everything that happened this weekend happened according to God's sovereign plan. 
Jesus went to Jerusalem knowing he would be crucified, and he knew he would be vindicated, raised on the third day. That was God's plan all along. And these women did what you and I do when we hear something incredible that is wonderful. They told others. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. And so you see what Luke does there? He draws a contrast between the faith of these women that is on the rise and the apostles who were unbelievers. He draws this contrast. He says that they, they thought it was nonsense what these women were telling them. There are at least a couple reasons for that. In that day, the, the word of women uh, was discounted in a court of law. If they could in any way avoid having women on the, te- on the witness stand, they would do so. And so their word was not valued. As well, they were telling them something miraculous. They were telling them something has happened that has never happened before. It's beyond your experience. It's beyond your expectation. And so it seemed like an idle tale. It was just nonsense. These, these women are, are, are telling us something that, that they apparently believe, but it cannot be true. And so at that point, the original apostles did not believe the gospel. Interesting, Luke, interestingly, Luke highlights Peter's reaction to this news. Last week we saw that after uh, Peter denied Jesus three times, and he, uh, he heard the rooster crow, and then he made eye contact with Jesus. And that's when he remembered, he remembered that Jesus had told him this would happen. He remembered, and he went out and wept bitterly. And now Jesus has been crucified, and these women came back, and they say, he is risen just as he said. Remember that he told us that he must suffer and die, and be raised on the third day. And so again, he remembers something. And I love what Peter did, his reaction in verse 12. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. His unbelief was beginning to turn. He now marveled in amazement. And so the principle here is that if you're looking to Jesus, pay attention to his words. If you're looking for Jesus, you have to pay attention to his words. Pay attention to what he told his original disciples. You'll find a lot of people saying a lot of things about Jesus, but if you want a reliable guide to who Jesus was, what he came to do, you have to go back and pay attention to his words. I want to give one more example of this, how, how Jesus pressed home this point. The very evening that Jesus, that very evening, Jesus appeared to the remaining 11 apostles. And when he appeared to them, uh, they thought he was a spirit. They thought it was more likely that this is basically Jesus's ghost, his spirit, than that Jesus had been raised bodily from the dead and he was standing there. And so he proved it to him. He said, look at my hands and my feet. Touch me if you want. The, the scars where the, the spikes were nailed into me. And then in a, a somewhat humorous account, he ate a piece of broiled fish. Because as we all know, uh, spirits can't eat 
right? And so he proved to them, I'm not just a spirit. I have a body. I've been raised from the dead. And having convinced them that he'd been raised bodily from the dead, he said this. And notice what he reminds them of. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you. Remember what I told you. Remember my words while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. He's telling them, remember what I told you. For three years, he'd been telling them that he would fulfill everything that was written about the Messiah in the Hebrew scriptures. But as Luke tells us throughout his gospel, uh, the, the disciples not only didn't believe, but that they could not believe. Their, their minds were clouded. Their, their, their eyes were closed to the truth of what Jesus was saying. But on that first Easter evening, after they'd been convinced that he had been raised bodily from the dead, now they were ready to understand. And so we read in verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scripture. He gave them this super supernatural capacity to understand the teachings of scripture. What was very opaque and confusing now became crystal clear. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And so for the first time, they understood that everything that had happened that weekend had happened just as he said. It was a divine necessity. This had to happen given his mission. Jesus' death and resurrection were at the very center of the drama of Scripture, therefore at the very center of all of human history. And Jesus opened their minds to understand this. But in verse 47, he adds an additional element that was also demanded by the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, namely the plan going forward. He says, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. And so the plan all along was not for just the Messiah to come and save one small tribe in, in a, a remote part of the world. But no, the plan is for this, this option, this offer of repentance. You can turn from your sin. You're not in a permanent condition. If you will, if your heart is moved, you can turn from your sin and turn back to him and experience forgiveness of your sins based on the death and resurrection of Jesus. And that, my friends, is why we're even sitting here today, 2,000 years later, on the other side of the world, because this message has gone forth, and many, many people have received it and have told others. And so again, it's, it's very patently, patently true that if you're looking for Jesus, pay attention to his words. Pay attention to what he said. They are a reliable guide to finding him. And so let's think about the implications about this truth for a few minutes. And these implications are, are true both for those who want to find Jesus for the first time, as well as for those who have found him and now want to follow him throughout this life. First of all, implications for finding Jesus. You know, like, like Jesus' original disciples, uh, many, many people today look for him in the wrong place. They listen to the wrong voices. And there are so many voices, too many to count. I mean, you've got 
what people say, you've got podcasts, you've got books, you've got blogs, you've got all sorts of, of opinions about who Jesus is. And one of the most common things, and it's repeated so often that many, many people just believe it. Well, everybody says this, so it must be true. And uh, actually, someone told me this recently in a conversation, namely, that basically all religions are the same, and they all lead to the same God. What really matters is that you have faith. That's all that matters. What really matters is that you're sincere. Uh, David Platt tells a story of, of, about the time when he was talking to two other men. Uh, had Platt is a Christian, and these two, each of these other men were, were followers of different religions. They were in different faiths. There were three faiths represented here. And these two men were, were having this conversation similar to what I described, that basically all, all religions teach the same thing. There's only superficial differences. And after listening for a while, Platt broke in and he said, let me understand if I, let me tell you, see if I understand what you're saying. It seems to me you're saying that there's a mountain and God is on the top of the mountain and we're all three at the bottom and I may take this path and you may take that path, but every path leads to God. And they said, yes, you get it, that's right. And he said, well, what would you think if that God on the top of the mountain actually came down to us and gave us a way to know him. They said, that would be fantastic. And he said, well, this, the, the message of the Bible is that God on the mountain, he knew that we couldn't make our way up to him. So he actually came down and became one of us. And through Jesus, we can now get to God. And I love that illustration because it reflects the actual words of Jesus. It's not just an idea somebody thought up. It reflects the words of Jesus. In John 14, 6, the night before Jesus was crucified, Jesus told this to his followers. Jesus said to him, he's talking specifically to Thomas, but the others were there. He said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so if you listen to Jesus' words, he says, actually, there's not many, many ways to God. There's one way to God. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Why is that? Because he uniquely paid for sin. He was the sinless, once-for-all sacrifice for sin. And he was uniquely vindicated by being raised eternally from the dead. And so Jesus, if we, if we pay attention to his words, we will hear things that we don't hear anywhere else. Earlier in the Gospel of John, it's in John 11, Jesus was talking to a woman named Martha, and he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And so if you believe in Jesus Christ, and it's not based on what you've done, you don't earn it, you can't deserve it. But if you believe in Jesus Christ, that when he died on the cross, he paid for your sin, and you believe that when he rose up again, that was God's vindication, then he now lives forevermore, then you will have eternal life. Your sin will be blotted out. It will be removed as far as the east is from the west. You will now have this, this new, uh, that you will be a new creature in Christ with new appetites, new desires. And instead of the commands being something external, you're trying and striving to, to live on your own power, God will write his word on your heart 
then you have this internal, this internal desire to seek him and to know him. And so if you're looking for Jesus, pay attention to his words. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. And if this is something you're considering this morning, I, I would encourage you to simply express this to God, express to him when we pray in a few minutes, God, I believe. I believe that Jesus died for me and rose again on the third day. Forgive my sins. I want to follow you through this life and into the next. And if you have a friend who is a follower of Christ, I would encourage you to talk to that person. If you don't have a friend like that, let us know. There are many people here. We would love to have an honest conversation with you. What are the implications of this truth for following Jesus? As you might expect, there's great continuity between how we find Jesus and how we follow Jesus. It would be a strange thing if you came to him one one way and following him was a a totally different thing. It turns out it's not. Jesus made this clear in John 8, 31 and 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my words, or my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you, th- you free. And so there's a condition here. If you want to be his apprentice, if you want to be his, his, his student, you need to abide in his word. And that means to remain, or stay put, or continue. And so instead of hearing what Jesus says and say, oh, I've heard that before, check, and go off and live your life differently, you let, it, you let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. You let his word inform how you think, how you feel, how you speak, how you treat people. And Jesus promises if you do that, you will know the truth, not just intellectually, but you will know it experientially, and that truth will set you free. You'll have freedom. If you keep reading, it's clear he's talking about being free from the bondage of sin. You won't be enslaved to the, to the things, to the way of living that you've known all along. It actually transforms your life, sometimes very radically, quickly. Sometimes it's over time. Matt, the, the last verse, verse in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, Jesus said, that's what a disi- part of discipleship, learning to observe everything that he's commanded. And so let me give you an example of how this might work. Very familiar uh, verse saying in the Bible, Luke 6.31 is is commonly called uh, the, uh, the golden rule. Jesus said, treat others the same way you want them to treat you. And this is found in Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount, which is his longest sermon that we have recorded and, uh, and, the, and in the immediate context, it's in the context of loving your enemies and people who strike you on the cheek and people who demand things from you. And so he's talking about how we're supposed to treat the difficult people in our lives. And the tendency is to treat others the way that, that they have treated us or to treat people the way we think they deserve to be treated. Or sometimes we don't even think about how we're treating people. We're just being ourselves, like someone said, whoever told you just be yourself gave you some horrible advice, okay? Because sometimes the way we treat just being ourselves is not the great thing. And so Jesus says, no, and there's many scriptures that say, no, we should, we should actually listen to people. 
We should seek to understand people and then, uh, then treat them accordingly. I learned this lesson uh, several years ago. Our son Riley graduated from, from K-State. He was, lived uh, in farmhouse for four years, and then he had a few months between uh, graduating and his next thing. So he moved back into our home for several months. And as some of you know firsthand, it can be an, an uneven experience when your adult child, young adult child, moves back in with you. And I found after just a few weeks, I found that he was often annoyed at me. And, and uh, there's just this tension in the air. And so one day he was sitting there, sitting there being, you know, eating breakfast, and I was being my chatty self, and, and this thought popping in my eyes. I said, hey, Riley, uh, on a scale of 0 to 10, 0 being extreme introvert and 10 being an extreme extrovert, where would you rate yourself? And I'm thinking 7 or 8. This child is a 7 or 8. And he said, uh, I'd say about a 4. And I'm like, oh, my, that explains a lot. That explains, because the first thing, I'm, I'm, I'm very extroverted. The first thing, get up in the morning, I'd be in his business. I'd be asking him cheery questions, like, you excited for your day? He's like, no, I'm not. And I, and I just, just too much too soon, trying too hard, overly friendly. And it occurred to me, this, this boy is, is largely introverted. He's very friendly. He's very outgoing but I just need to scale it way back. I need to treat him the way I would want to be treated if I were an introvert. And so I want people to to respect my God-given temperament, and so that's the way I should treat him. And as Jesus promised, I found great freedom in this. I mean, our relationship is tangibly better, and that's what it means to remain in it. You don't just hear it. Now, you, 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 you let the word of Christ dwell in you. So it may be that scripture. It may be a hundred other scriptures. But if you're seeking to follow Jesus, abide in his word, his specific words. Lock in on something he's taught about who you are, how you should think, how you should speak, how you should behave, and let it stay with you. Let it inform how you think, think about and talk to people, treat people in your home, in your neighborhood, in the workplace, and maybe especially in the church. And if you listen to Jesus closely, he will, he will sometimes tell you very difficult things, very painful things, but things you absolutely need to know for your life. Sometimes he will tell you things that are very nourishing and very satisfying to you. Sometimes he will tell you, will say they're mind-blowing things, in the gospel, at gospels, and in the scripture more broadly that you would never think of in a million years. Awe-inspiring things. But if you abide in his word, you will truly be his disciple, and that truth will set you free. You will find that Jesus is a good shepherd who leads you through this life into the next. And so whether you're looking for Jesus and you need to find him for the first time, or whether you found him and you want to walk with him for a lifetime, Pay close attention to his words. Heavenly Father, this is our prayer today. We pray that we would be people who hear you. If Jesus said he would die and be raised from the dead, if he was right about that, God, he's right about everything. I pray for those here today who who need to know you, who are seeking to find you for the very first time. I pray that you would give them insight. Give them faith. Pray that they would come and find this 
this life that you offer through him, this pure grace, this gift of, of salvation, forgiveness of sin. Pray that you approve your faithfulness there. And for those who already know you and want to follow you, we pray, God, that your word would be rich. We pray that it would take up the deepest place in our hearts and it would be satisfying to us. And so lead us, Father. We know that you want to. We submit to you. We, we uh, say, have your way with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.